The American POTUS Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit show supported by listener patriots just like you. To help us keep the program going, please join others around the nation by considering a tax-deductible donation. You can make your contribution and see what exciting plans we have for new podcasts and other outreach programs at AmericanPOTUS.org. Thank you for your support, and we hope you enjoy this episode. On this episode of American POTUS, James Buchanan, asking which president was the worst, will get you many different answers, but most historians and experts will agree the title goes to this man. His resume was one of the most impressive in the history of the White House, but his obsession with being a presidential people pleaser may have ultimately been his demise. He flip-flopped a lot on important issues and contradicted himself repeatedly, leading many to blame him for finally igniting an already tense situation that would tear the country apart. The Bachelor President, Old Buck, James Buchanan, he's next on American POTUS. I'm Scott Braun. With the help of presidential scholar Alan Lowe, we're opening the book on the men who have held our nation's highest office. In each episode, we tap into our nationwide cabinet of historians, authors, experts, and others to reveal the most compelling moments from these extraordinary patriots. Our focus for this episode is President James Buchanan, and we've invited Robert Strauss to join us for the discussion. He's put together over a thousand stories for the New York Times, written for Sports Illustrated, the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, as well as several books on politics and international travel. His book, Worst President Ever, James Buchanan, The POTUS Rating Game, and the Legacy of the Least of the Lesser Presidents, is what we're here to talk about. Robert, we're looking forward to diving into one of our least famous but still important presidents. Welcome to American POTUS. Thanks. I've always wanted to be here. That's what you told me to say. <laughs> Perfect. You're following the script and we appreciate it, Robert. We do. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Robert, can we start today with uh, Buchanan's youth? Where did he grow up and what did he study in college? How, and how did he get involved in politics in the first place? Okay. Uh, Buchanan was from Southern Pennsylvania. I, I, I don't know that Pennsylvania views itself as northern and southern, but in the in the sort of the central part of the state and in the lower part of the state. And his father was a uh, he was a merchant, and, and he, he became more and more successful as time went on. Eventually, uh, Buchanan ended up at Dickinson College, which was founded by the founder uh, Benjamin Rush. As, a, as another place outside of the cities. He just had this view that there should be a place for uh, uh, people who didn't live in the main cities of, of the country. And um, Dickinson exists today as a small liberal arts college, a very good one. It was, in a sense, a finishing school for rich people. I mean, Buchanan didn't count as rich, but rich enough. And uh, he spent several years there and graduated at the top of his class, except he was sort of a ne'er-do-well and had a lot of drinking parties and censures and, and all of that. But, you know, he came through it fine. And he, uh, he, he then went to practice law in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which at the time was the capital of Pennsylvania. It moved soon after to Harrisburg, but he had already attached himself to sort of the best lawyer in Lancaster. So he just stayed there. Lancaster at the time was the, it was in the um, sort of the late teens, early 20s, was the largest inland city 
in the United States. It had 6,000 people. So you can see that even in Buchanan's time, past the time of the founders, America was still pretty much a rural place. Uh, so then he, he, as lawyers do in small towns, he became more involved in politics. And he was a federalist when the federalists were sort of going out of business. And he, uh, he, he did become a, a state legislator at a young age. So when he goes into national politics, he goes in as a congressman, as a Jacksonian Democrat. Was he a good congressman? So here's the kind of congressman he was. In a certain sense, he's the kind of congressman that we don't have anymore, that we had maybe in the previous generation of few of. And he was really intent on local service. In other words, he, 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 he pulled whatever strings he could to get his, uh, uh, it was mostly a county, you know, some stuff whatever you want to call it. And I guess it was a center of uh, commerce for many years. So it, it, it was where the Conestoga wagons were built. And later on, it's where Woolworths had his first store. So uh, it, it was where galoshes were made in the United States. So it, it, it was sort of the end, the beginning of the road west for a long time. But, you know, you could get from Philadelphia to, uh, to Lancaster. But once you got much beyond Lancaster... It was pretty rough, even you know, even to go to Pittsburgh, the other side of the state. So uh, he was a, he was a service kind of congressman. He did not, he never was the head sponsor of any bill that was of any consequence. So he had attached the star to Andrew Jackson, and at some point in that process, then Jackson sends Buchanan to Russia to be his minister there. Why did Jackson do that, and how did Buchanan end up performing in Russia? Well, okay, so he'd been a senator. Uh, he was of some influence in Pennsylvania, but the Jacks, but he was sort of a, a pain, in the, pain in the neck. He, 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 he would always sort of ask for things, as I said. And uh, so they, they liked the Philadelphia Democrats more. And so in order to keep the Philadelphia Democrats, who, who included George M. Dallas, who was the who became Polk's vice president, and also, of course, the uh, name of Dallas, Texas, comes from him. And and uh, as a sidelight, you know that da- da- the Dallas Philadelphia football rivalry is uh, is is very big still, and it's ironic that Dallas is from Philadelphia, and he's <laughs> there at Fourth and Pine in a uh, in a cemetery. But anyway, so he goes off to Russia. And, and what Buchanan was, you know, you, you know, most of us who write negatively about somebody should should note that they do have some positive. Many of them have some positive elements. And one of Buchanan's positive elements is that he loved being loved, you know, so he was a people pleaser. That's why he became what he was in Congress, you know, and and uh, uh, he gave great parties. So we'll get into that later. But. He gets to uh, Russia. Well, the, the, there's all, there's the joke, of course, that uh, uh, perhaps he said it, perhaps he didn't. And and uh, somebody asked uh, uh, Jackson after he appoints uh, Buchanan to Russia, which, of course, he, there was really no significant uh, trade between Russia and the United States. But anyway, he gets to back to uh, Jackson, uh, a question, why did you do this? And he sa- said, uh, because I couldn't send him away any further. 
You know, <laughs> he was really not in love with Buchanan. I don't think he was just, he thought of him as a rival, but he was just, just sort of a pain in the neck. But he gets to Russia and he wows the Russian court because he's, he, he learned French, you know, so he could speak it. He, he was, he was almost obsequious to the royal family. He, uh, uh loved see the, the king loved see, well, the, excuse me, the czar loved seeing him. They saw him on the street. They would wave to each other. And he had to, at the, uh, the, the formal things, he would dance with the, with the Tsarina. He, he was a good lawyer. He wasn't rich, but he used his largesse, whatever it was, to have parties. And uh, he was a good negotiator because he was willing to give up things. He was willing to compromise. And so he, he negotiated the first trade deal between uh, Russia and the United States. Buchanan seems to have uh, rubbed some people the wrong way. Certainly Jackson, as you said, at least we think he joked about sending him as far away as possible. Why in that environment do we see Buchanan continuing to rise? What's the secret behind his success? Well, that's the party thing. He, it's a couple of times he, under Tyler and, and Polk, were, they were willing to name him to the Supreme Court. And uh, in, in, I don't know uh, what, what the point was that, that, that for doing this, but he gave great part, two great parties in Washington for everybody. And, and uh, you know, just to say, you like, I'm a good guy. So some people didn't like that. But, but also, he was, he was a bit wishy-washy. And that is, that is, is uh, you know, secret to being the worst. He, he, he would... It, there, the negotiations at, when he was Secretary of State under Polk were were baffling to Polk. He you know he would he would negotiate with the with the British and he would get a certain uh, uh, parallel uh, uh, you know uh, uh, and and he would come back to Polk and what could we give them and and it went back and forth three different times that that he would he would uh, uh, decide this or that and these were, this was a major major thing you know and, and so he aggravated polk you know and 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 uh he was always sort of running for president so he aggravated pierce too and pierce sent him to england uh as ambassador they called the ministers then and and uh you know so anyways so, so he got it pierce got him out of his hair so so, uh, by the way, he performed pretty well in England too. It didn't didn't negotiate all that much, but but he and his niece, uh, you wanted to get to that later, his first lady almost, you know, were really well uh, established in court there as well. I, I love to study James K. Polk. I think he's fascinating. I've always been curious why he didn't get rid of Buchanan with all the friction between them when Buchanan served as his Secretary of State. Why, why did he not just sack Buchanan? Well, here's the thing about Secretary of State. It's sort of an odd office. You know, uh, under, under Washington Adams and all, he was sort of the top person, but they didn't go anywhere. You know, not like Secretary of State's go now. They're practically on the road constantly. They, they sort of were, it, it was sort of not just the head of foreign service, but sort of the, what, what a chief of staff would do now. Buchanan's sort of portfolio as Secretary of State 
was a bit odd because he really was negotiating a treaty that was of importance. You know, the early treaties in England and France were not negotiated by Thomas Jefferson. You know, they were they were other ministers that went over. John Jay did the the initial uh, uh, British treaty, and uh, you know, so so you know the X Y Z affair were were the uh, in France were John Marshall and uh, anyway there there were three non uh, secretaries of state. The secretary of state you know sat in an office in Philadelphia or or New York or, or Washington. So Polk was, you know, I, I think he was just, this is the guy that with a connection to the Democratic Party and, and we'll keep him in, in tow. What do you think about James Buchanan being the worst president ever? Or do you have someone else who deserves the title? Drop us a note and let us know what you think at AmericanPOTUS.com or on Facebook or Twitter. And if you want to know more about Robert Strauss's book on POTUS 15, you can always visit the guest resources section at AmericanPOTUS.com. So after that service in Great Britain, Buchanan finally got what he had long wanted, the presidency. How was he successful in the 1856 election? Okay, so, oh, in the election, as opposed to getting nominated in the first place. I mean, he, he got nominated because uh, the they uh, Democratic Party had become disaffected with Pierce for a number of reasons. Uh, it's, it's odd that Pierce was... Uh, the uh, the uh, Pierce had the only cabinet that stayed together for all four years, but his horse whisperer was was Jefferson Davis. He, I mean, he could have become president. I mean, there's there's no question that that had he really put himself up for it in in 1856, maybe he could have gotten the nomination. Went to it went to uh, you know a, a long ballot process, and finally. They finally picked Buchanan as, in a sense, a compromise. Like he was the old man, you know, sort of plotting up the chain and finally got there. And, you know, he's in his 60s, but, you know, which was old. I mean, uh, I, being in my 60s myself, I, don't, I mean, I just played an hour and a half of tennis this morning. So, I, you know, I don't feel like uh, I'm old, but yet uh, certainly back then that was old. And... Uh, he didn't necessarily promise to be a one-term president, but it was sort of implied that that would be what was happening. But then there's the 1856 election, which I I really say is one of the one of the great stories. If you could have a funny story about a, an election, there is one. The Whig Party, you know, had a president only four years before, uh, Millard Fillmore was filling out Zachary Taylor's term. They they were ran Congress at that point, but then they got slaughtered in the uh, in the Pierce election, and they just fell apart. And so, it, it, among the pieces of this party and some other Southerners, I guess not really any Southerners, excuse me, came this thing called the Republican Party, mostly founded in the Upper Midwest, but had other people and. They're looking around for somebody to run. And uh, wouldn't you believe it? This would never happen today. They came up with a celebrity to run. <laughs> that would never happen, right? No, it's, it's odd, yes. One of those right. 19th century things. Right. So, so the celebrity was a guy named John Fremont. 
Uh, and Fremont did have a bit of a political bent here in California, but what he was known for was that he was the guy who, with Kit Carson, mapped out the West, mapped out the ways to the West. And he uh, wrote a journal about it, uh, which was uh, apparently pretty turgid, but he made one consequential move, and that is he courted and married the daughter of one of the long-serving uh, Democratic senators, Thomas Benton from Missouri. And, and uh, anyway, uh, she, was, uh, she was only 17, but that was, she was in Washington her whole life, and she knew all the people there were to know, and she apparently was florid in her writing, and so she re-edited this thing, and he, she sent it out to all these people, and lo and behold, it was a bestseller, such as they were, you know. So he, he was of, uh, of note, and so the, you know, they picked him. Uh, in, in in Philadelphia. Now, I, I live in Philadelphia, and, or uh, just outside, and it was in this building called Musical Fund Hall was the first Republican convention. Of course, they came to Philadelphia. It's this, you know, the old-time center. And uh, um, Musical Fund Hall, as I walk by it, which I do often because it's on the way to my daughter's house from the subway, is nine condominiums. And I don't mean nine spectacular condominiums, nine condominiums that people in their 20s and 30s live in, right? And uh, so it's not this very big, glorious building that the Republican convention was in. So you try to imagine how you had a convention there, but you did. And not not too many blocks away in a building that's not there anymore had the, the convention for yet another party, which was officially called the American Party, but... They call themselves the know-nothings. Now, what does it tell you about an election? A party that calls itself the know-nothings. You know, this is an election where we have this, right, going on. So the know-nothings, big deal, and, and I'm sure you could never believe this, but they were a party whose main platform was against immigration. Now, that would never happen today either, would right, it? Right, right, right. Now, no party could suffice on that. But instead of uh, 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 people from south of the border, they were against uh, Irish and German Catholic immigration, as if, you know, the Pope was going to set up, uh, you know, a little village right next to the White House somehow. So anyway, they, they, you know, they're looking around for a candidate to represent them. And uh, I can imagine how many people were loath to do it. But there was one guy who really felt that he had been aced out of the presidency and deserved it. And that was Millard Fillmore, who latches on to the Know Nothing Party. And I could find nothing before this where it said Millard Fillmore writing anti-immigration, anti-Catholic, whatever they were. But he was pro-president. For Millard, and so so he ran. So now you have this three-way election, and uh, since the Republicans are clearly not on the ballot in the South, being you know the major plank was uh, 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 to uh, restrict uh, uh, slavery from the new territories, and you have this anti-Catholic party, but they you know they they had some uh, 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 sway in some of the big cities. But then you had the Democratic Party, and, and they were established. They had funding, and they had, you know, uh, uh, they were on the ballot in all the states. And they had one other thing. They had songs. 
So here's the thing. You know, the Tepecanoe and Tower 2 was a song, but there were many songs that went along with the presidency until you came to the 1856 election because, uh, because Buchanan was related to the Jay-Z of his age. <laughs> and that is, uh, and that's uh, Stephen Foster, mm-hmm. you know, way down upon the Suwannee River and all that, you know, uh, my old Kentucky home. Well, Stephen Foster came from that southern city, Pittsburgh. <laughs> and he was Buchanan's brother-in-law's brother, you know, they were, uh, uh, that's how it was. It's a sort of brother-in-law. I don't know really what that, what that relationship is, but uh, everybody has one. And he said, sure, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you use my songs. Well, you know, the, uh, so the, there were these songs of, of promoting Buchanan that were to my old Kentucky home and, and such. And then, uh, but then what cropped up is that uh, the Republicans decided to have songs. And guess what? They used Stephen Foster melodies too. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, so it, it appeared that even the president's brother-in-law didn't like him, right? <laughs> if he was writing, I mean, copyright laws were, were, were somewhat different. Anyway, but, but, but what happens is Buchanan wins the election going away. Uh, you know, Fremont wins some states and, but Buchanan wins the South and he wins Pennsylvania, his home state. And, and ironically, Fillmore wins one state, Maryland, which was the one state that was founded by Catholics. Yeah. So there you go, right? <laughs> right. History is always right. strange. Right, right. So <laughs> Buchanan becomes president. I know I went on long, but I love the 1856. It's, a great, it's great. So, so he gets off to a quick start, Buchanan does, at becoming the worst president ever by inserting himself into the infamous Dred Scott Supreme Court decision. Can you tell us about his role in that decision and what he thought it would accomplish? Well, he, uh, and here's where I blame Dick. I usually, if I ever give this talk, you know, I, I, I uh, ask anybody if they went to Dickinson College. And usually if I'm in Philadelphia, somebody did, you know. And I said, well, you're to blame for the Civil War. <laughs> So here's how it goes. So Buchanan sort of runs on the idea that he is going to solve the slavery problem. Now, that doesn't mean he was going to get rid of slavery. He was going to solve the slavery problem. And he and others see this case winding around with a slave or former slave, depending on how you looked at it, Dred Scott. He he had been a slave as his... his owner uh, was in the army, and his, he was uh, posted in Illinois and what became Minnesota, free states. So uh, Scott sues later on uh, when he gets the, 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 a relative as an owner uh, uh, to have his freedom uh, because he was a free person, allegedly, in, in, the, uh, in the territories and in Illinois. Anyway, it winds around, and... and uh, Apparently, Buchanan talks with Roger Taney, who is the Supreme Court Chief Justice. Taney was uh, Francis Scott Key's brother-in-law. You know, everybody's related, yeah. frankly. Anyway, but, but uh, Taney says, I don't know what I can make of this, because if it's a 5-4 split, I don't see how you can make a big deal out of this. And the 5-4 split was... Southerners and Northerners in the Supreme Court. There are five Southerners and four Northerners. And he says, if you can find 
a way to change this to be kind. Now, remember, he's been elected, but he has not been inaugurated yet. And so Buchanan talks to somebody that he knows and he says, you know, I think that you can maybe convince the justice from Pennsylvania. Well, that justice from Pennsylvania, guess where he went to college? Dickinson College. Guess where Roger Taney went? Dickinson College. Anyway, I don't know that really has much to do with it, but I like to make fun of it. So, uh, so uh, sure enough, he convinces this other justice, and, and it turns out that there was going to be a concurring opinion after that with, uh, with a New York justice. And Tawny comes out just before the election. They say that on the, uh, on the reviewing stand or whatever, uh, they, they, they uh, performed the oath on the side of the Capitol, that Tawny came up to uh, Buchanan and said, we're going to have a decision in a couple of days. So one of the things that uh, they did for the souvenirs uh, of, the, uh, of the inauguration is they printed up what was to be Buchanan's speech. And Buchanan's, so anyway, so they, these people had these souvenir uh, uh, pamphlets or, or, or papers, uh, broadsheets, not broadsheets wouldn't be, but papers uh, with Buchanan's speech on it. And, but in Buchanan's speech, he inserts a little phrase indicating that that there's going to be a decision coming up about slavery. Well, they have this glorious inaugural ball, really glorious. It's it it, it they put up a tent that was 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 a, a several uh, you know our, our our modern measurement several football fields long. They had uh, several thousand people there, and everybody of any importance in Washington or nearby was there, this many saddles of this, and this many saddles of that, and lots of ice cream, and Buchanan paid for the drinks, and anyway, it was this glorious party. And then the next day, they had a, a hand-shaking thing at the White House with, with Buchanan, who was a little sick, by the way. They stayed, at, before the inauguration, they stayed in a hotel nearby that was, the water was tainted, and several people, including Buchanan's one of Buchanan's nephews died, so Buchanan was probably a little sick at the uh, at the uh, uh, through this whole time. But he still stood there and shook hands with his niece Harriet Lane, who we'll get to. And uh, anyway, so that so they have a really nice start, two days worth of start because we had uh, uh, not many parties. I won't get into it, but there were a lot of uh, presidential wives and dead presidents all along. Before that, so uh, uh, anyway, but to, the day after that, two days after the inauguration, comes this decision, the Dred Scott decision. The by far, I don't think you can find very many people, except few people who like to be contrary, but who wouldn't say this was the worst decision in uh, in Supreme Court history. And uh, it basically says that Dred Scott could not sue. Because he was not a citizen, he 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 uh, uh, the the Constitution uh, makes no pre- uh, provision for black people being citizens, and, and further, that meant that the uh, that part of the Judiciary Act of 
1789 was was uh, was invalid, and also part of the Missouri Compromise was invalid because and, and, and you know any further compromises were invalid because slavery didn't exist in the country. Excuse me, slavery existed everywhere in the country. It could not be banned by by mere uh, uh, congressional act. It could only be banned by a amendment to the Constitution. So. Believe it or not, just like the pandemic news this time, it caused a unbelievably quick drop in, in the economy, mostly in the north. Railroads started going out of business because because the uh, people decided not to move. We had 20 years of, of, of a great economy since the panic of 1837. People were moving anywhere they wanted to, and railroads took them there, and people speculated on railroads. In fact, William Seward lost basically all his fortune in in the railroad drop and Stephen Douglas as well. Uh, uh, therefore, many other businesses, and then banks started failing because they had speculated on on railroads. So within months, the, the economy was, well, in tatters. And uh, uh, Buchanan, uh, Buchanan decided that, well, you know what? I can't do a thing about it, or I won't do a thing about it. You speculated. You took the chance. Look at the people in the South. They they had little banks, and they had uh, you know an agricultural uh, way of life that didn't require uh, uh, sending manufactured goods to England or whatever. And uh, so that uh, uh, made him uh, more of a what they call a dough face. A northern politician who would who would be uh, you know his face would be puttied by the by the southerners and uh, and and so the economy was sort of the like I said he, he, he immediately you know, both slavery and the economy within weeks of his presidency due to his doings whatever yeah, you call it. he seems to take the worst possible decision he he did the same looking at the admission of Kansas into the union. Can you tell us about how he approached that that terrible situation in bloody Kansas? Yeah, so he he would he, he didn't have to take a position in the eighteen fifty six election because he 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 uh, he had uh, avoided it by being in England. Uh, but uh, you know, it all started before that that that, that Kansas would, was clearly going to be the next state to uh, come to the union, but was it going to be a slave or a free state? In its uh, decision, or whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, people from Missouri, of course, were were right next door, and, and they were very influential about who moved where. And there became two capitals: the current capital, one that became the current capital, Topeka, which was uh, settled by free soilers or or whatever you want to call them, anti-slavery people, and LeCompton, which was settled by people who wanted to keep slavery or have Kansas come in as a slave state. So they were competing. And and at uh, times there were uh, there were uh, bloody issues, and Buchanan just would not take a stand. He would not say it's going to be this way or that way, despite sending governors there who were smart people, and uh, and seeing the violence come there. They did have soldiers there, but then he found out about the pig war. Have you, you you know the pig war, which I, I, is one of the these secret wars that that Buchanan had, is is extremely influential in 
in how, how America has got into the Civil War. Uh, there was a, uh, there were the San Juan Islands, basically, up in, up north of uh, Seattle in Washington, on the border of, of, of what became Canada. And uh, there were settlers, not many, but uh, an American settler, one day there was a, a pig, probably a wild boar, came onto his territory, shot it dead. Well, that pig was uh, was uh, part of the uh, uh, holdings of uh, the Koch brothers of the day, the Hudson Bay Company. Well, you know, they didn't take a shine to American settlers anyway, coming in, in this sort of hazy border there, and uh, there was sort of a standoff. Well, instead of ignoring it, uh, Buchanan sends troops that were guarding Kansas, where there really were problems. And he, he sends them out to this area in uh, north of Seattle. Well, there's no B-1 bombers. This takes a long time for them to march out there. And by the time they get there, I, I'm sure the, the, the two sides were eating the damn pig. So, <laughs> nothing's happening. But now there's this violence in Kansas with John Brown and and all the other, you know, any anything else that was going on, lesser, and uh, it just became even more of a mess under his uh, watchful eye. The controversial personal side of POTUS 15 is straight ahead, but first we want to remind you to visit AmericanPOTUS.com, where you can easily find a link to Robert Strauss's book, Worst President Ever. And we would appreciate it if you rate and review the podcast on the player you're listening to right now. Thanks for listening to American Poets. Now, we know in 1860, he does not run again, and Abraham Lincoln is elected. From November 6, 1860 to March 4, 1861, those were, as you say, the worst days of the worst presidency. So the Southern states begin to secede. What does Buchanan do? How does he respond to Southern secession? Similarly to most everything else, <laughs> let somebody else figure it out. But, uh, you know, there, there is a, there's a frenzy in Washington. Uh, uh, even John Tyler, the former president, uh, uh, comes over. You know, and he's, John Tyler ends up being a, a, a Confederate uh, congressman. But he comes over, we've got to do something to save the union, something, James. You know, you know, let's gather people together. And Buchanan says, well, the way I look at the Constitution is this. They can't secede, but I can't do anything about it. You know, there's nothing in the Constitution that allows me to do anything. And, you know, I, I could see, you know, Tyler going, <laughs> going out shamefaced and, you know, running across the Potomac and said, I'm going with them. You know, you, there, so there's several other people. But the other thing that happened with Buchanan is he took it personally. He, uh, you know, as states seceded, his cabinet and his friends were primarily Southerners. And uh, uh, and they would leave the cabinet or they'd leave the Senate and they'd come over and say goodbye. Well, you know, the people, he, he would have endless cabinet meetings and he'd, he'd invite them all for dinner. So they were very close and uh, they would leave. And so, you know, suddenly he's left alone. You know, you, 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 uh, you know, there was this, the stories about Nixon at the end of his presidency walking around the White House sullen. Well, that's what Buchanan did. 
he would walk around in the empty rooms. Remember, he wasn't married. He had no, he had nobody to confide in, really. So uh, his his presence, the end of his presidency was was horrific, because of course, uh, seven states seceded, and led to the, really led to the Civil War. You look at his resume, and on paper, you would say he's ideally suited to be president. Was it just a a lack of will, or what? He had to be an intelligent man. What led to him? being the his, worst president ever. His, his, his inability to stop the buck. You know what I mean? You, you know, you're, uh, you're the manager of the Cubs. I don't know who you root for. I don't necessarily root for the Cubs, but I just sort of picked them. And, here, and you know, uh, a guy gets on first base, and you got to give a signal. You know, you're the manager, or you're telling the coach to give the signal, and you can't figure it out. I don't know. You know, you're looking at your hand, as I am now, <laughs> your podcast, you know, I don't know, should I do this, should I do that? By, by that time, there's three outs, you know. Uh, so uh, this is how Buchanan sort of operated. You know, when John Brown came around, he couldn't make a decision at Harper's Ferry. It took Robert E. Lee to convince him to, you know, to, to stare this, uh, this rebellion in the bud. And so his wishy-washiness as the country needed somebody uh, it desperately needed somebody to make a decision and uh, and if there's a difference between uh i know it's i know it's hard to say maybe lincoln didn't have the uh, you know the greatest uh, uh, height to jump over to become a great president but it, it, the difference between lincoln and and washington and franklin Delano roosevelt whoever they call great presidents is they made decisions now, all their decisions weren't great. I mean, internment of the Japanese was not a glorious flag under Roosevelt, but but they made decisions, and this is what we elect presidents. This is what we decided that presidents had to do. We made a strong executive, and if you know, if you can't make a decision, what do the people under you do? They, they you know, they go a million different ways. So when Buchanan is discussed nowadays, typically it's within the context of either him being the worst president ever or the question of whether or not he was gay. Uh, do you believe he was gay? I, I, I come to the conclusion that he was not. Uh, of course, who knows, right? Right, right. Uh, but but I, I say this because he had an amazing incident that happened early in his life. He, he was uh, affianced to to a young woman in uh, Lancaster. And he one day came home from Philadelphia and he stopped off at his friend's house and his friend's wife's cousin was there. And so gossip came about and his, uh, his beloved Ann uh, said, uh, We're, I'm breaking off the engagement. Anyway, she goes, uh, uh, she's, she herself is despondent. He takes the typical thing. Well, she'll come back. I'm not going to do anything. I got work. With you. So uh, uh, she, her father, who was extremely rich, iron baron, says, well, why don't you go, you and your sister, go visit your other sister in Philadelphia and, and you know, have a good time. So they go out to Philadelphia and they have tickets to the theater and and she says that, that night, she says, well, you two go. I'm not feeling so hot. So uh, so the doctor comes by and she looks fine. But he says, you know, they, they go to the theater. Well, by the time they come back, she's in convulsions. And within hours, she's dead. So, so of course, the story is that the, 
you know, is he dead because she's pregnant? Is she dead because Buchanan's gay? Is she dead because the, just because he was a, a, a wishy-washy guy? Whatever it is, the, the father does not let him come to the funeral. Anyway, it's a big hoo-ha in Lancaster. But what happens then is that he, 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 he resolves to work harder. And so he becomes a great lawyer. Everybody comes to, to the lawyer and says, look at what he suffered. And he's still going to be you know, a, a, a hardworking lawyer. So he gets more and more business. So even out of tragedy, he gets to, to, to come out of that. But, but, but my, my, my point being that, that uh, um, I don't know that this proves he isn't gay, but uh, I don't really have much, of, much to go on. There's a couple of phrases that people say from his letters uh, you know, they, they call they call him and and his his friend uh, Rufus King. Uh, uh, I don't know uh, Sally or something like this. And, but but it's it, yeah, I don't know. It's it's very tough to prove somebody's gay or not. Anyway, right? Has he always been considered the worst president ever? Well, he's always been considered the the, the surveys of this sort of thing started in the post war era. We didn't. We didn't really have much uh, of these historical ratings done by historians, but uh, he's been in the, the, the bad group. And uh, recently, C-SPAN put together a cadre of uh, historians to rate the presence in some sort of quasi-scientific manner. And uh, they put out a book when they uh, and they uh, used excerpts from their interviews. And I'm still in there as... Buchanan's uh, interlocutor, I suppose, <laughs> and and uh, and he's still the worst, and not only the worst, but the worst by far. Now, they, this was before Trump, and I know. Look, I mean, I, if if I got a dollar for everybody who says, well, you're going to have to rewrite your book, and I'm thinking, like, if I got a dollar from every one of them, I would have written the book. But <laughs> I still cleave to my guy. The New York Times called me up a few weeks ago, and and they had. Uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin and, and, and several other uh, uh, famous historians in their story about how Trump was worse, the worst president or whatever it is. But but at the end, she put me by quotes in and I said, you know, and I said, well, you know, he was a nice guy and a good partier. You know, so, <laughs> so it was sort of the, it was sort of the funny end note to uh, to the story. All right, Robert. Well, let's continue down that line. It's time for my short and hopefully insightful questions about POTUS 15. Here we go. He was the only bachelor president, but he'd like to entertain. So did he have someone who helped him fill that traditional first lady role? Yes, his niece, Harriet Lane. And Harriet Lane was a Jackie Kennedy of her era. There were in pictures of her that she was often wearing some a sort of a wrap around her uh, top, not necessarily a scarf. And everybody wanted to have them. There were trading cards, essentially, with Harriet Lane on them. Uh, There there was jewelry that Harriet wore that people would market. And there was even a battleship, the Harriet Lane. And it was captured by the Confederates. And she was so popular that they didn't rename it. It was the CSS (laughs) Harriet Lane. She became she became a great benefactor. She started the uh, 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 National Portrait Gallery. She uh, she uh, uh, financed the Johns Hopkins uh, uh, nursing school. And the rules for nurses are still called 
the Harriet Lane rules. So she was, she was his uh, person. Love it. The first, the first uh, presidential merch almost. That's right. The Ivanka of her age. <laughs> Although I, she, you know, she was more loved than that. What was his go-to cocktail or beverage to help him unwind after a long day? There seems to be, uh, I mean, I found this in the founding era too. Ben Franklin and uh, John Marshall and many others loved Madeira, uh, you know, uh, presumably made on the island of Madeira, but I'm sure they were made in backyards. And uh, that seemed to be Buchanan's thing too. He had, uh, you know, uh, uh, vintages brought to him and, uh, you know, that was his thing. Now, I've never tried Madeira. I, I probably should you know, go to my local liquor store and find it. But uh, it was a fortified wine. I mean, in a sense, like port. Yeah, consider it research. You need to, you need to have right. Yes, that's right. That's right. Did Buchanan have any good nicknames, something that could almost be used as a Secret Service code name kind of thing? Well, he was often called Old Buck, and, and both sarcastically and not. But he was old, you know, and, and, and Buck sounds not so bad. You know, but that was that, that was uh, what what I found to be the, when when people would refer to him, and, and and in cartoons he was often called that too. You know, as Alan mentioned earlier, his resume was pretty good, and it would have made a pretty good LinkedIn profile. Do you think he would have been a user of something like that? You know, it's hard to say what these people used in technology. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's not Jefferson who, when you go to Monticello, right? You know, you see all the the knickknacks and stuff that he invented, uh, uh, or Ben Franklin, although obviously he wasn't present. But um, I, I suppose that that he he, he did write a memoir, and his memoir uh, uh, blames the abolitionists for the Civil War. But uh, so he was a writer, and I'm guessing that he would have uh, liked to uh, promote his whatever he was doing. So maybe he'd use LinkedIn and. Certainly, you you got to figure he'd use Twitter because uh, I don't know he who who doesn't now me I guess. <laughs> who do you think would be his favorite president then or now? God, you know there, there's a certain something in me that said he would he would have loved to have been Abraham Lincoln. So maybe he would have liked Abraham Lincoln. There was no question that he supported Lincoln's war effort, you know, uh, even being cross-party and however bad and good. I mean, obviously Lincoln was vilified when he was president too, but uh, uh, he was uh, uh, certainly a respected man, if not a popular one, I don't, I don't know. But but uh, uh, there's something in me that thinks that unless you go, you know, you can always go back to Washington, but I, I don't know, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be much uh, that, uh, that uh, Buchanan would say, and, and you can't pick somebody in the future, uh, you know, at least he knew Lincoln. Do you have a favorite quote or moment from POTUS 15? Well, I mean, I, the Jackson one is the best for me, you know, just to, you know, I couldn't send him anywhere further away. <laughs> right. I mean, it does sort of, it does sort of embody worseness, right? I mean, <laughs> the only thing I do say is that, is, uh, you know, if you're going to be the next president, if you're running, if you were Biden or whatever, what who would you say to study? Well, you know, the, the top three are always uh, uh, Washington, Lincoln, and Roosevelt. Well, it's not likely that you're going to start a new country. 
the Civil War, uh, I'm not looking for that to happen again, so you're not going to solve that in slavery. And, uh, you know, uh, the Depression and a World War at the same time, or more or less the same time, uh, is probably not going to happen to you either. So studying them might not be service serviceable for you. But what you can do is you can go to Buchanan and say, you know what? I'm not going to be like him. So, so, uh, so uh, th- there's his usefulness. And finally, in just one sentence, here's your biggest challenge. In just one okay. sentence, can you summarize Buchanan's very controversial four years in the White House? Yeah, the buck never stopped there. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> Robert, where can, where can people learn more about your work and what's next for you? Everybody sends people to Amazon these days, yeah. which is unfortunate, but that's sort of the way it is. I, uh, you know, I did work for all those places that you said, and uh, uh, now I've started writing books, and I love it. Uh, uh, I had a previous book called Daddy's Little Goalie, which was a memoir about being the dad of girl athletes, and I don't mean my kids were the greatest things since sliced bread, but it was just a daddy-daughter book. I mean, uh, there aren't many daddy-daughter books, to tell you the truth. And then I had the uh, worst prison ever. And now I have out uh, a book called The Final Founder, which is about John Marshall, the uh, uh, great Supreme Court Chief Justice. But I found Marshall to be sort of the uh, Zelig or the Forrest Gump of presidents, that he was everywhere from Valley Forge onward. And he had quite a bit of gusto to him, not this sort of dry uh, uh, decision writer. And uh, uh, I say that if uh, Lynn Miranda had found a biography of Marshall before he found Ron Chernow's of Hamilton, the move, the uh, musical would have been Marshall. Yeah. With three exclamation points. Yeah. You were just so, too slow writing the biography, Robert. So <laughs> I guess, yeah. you know, I did get, I did get fan mail from, from Lynn Miranda on the worst president ever, because obviously he must be a history buff. Yeah. Uh, and so I was thinking, wow, you know, Buchanan, the polka musical. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. I'll be uh, first in but, line. Uh, you know, uh, instead I get a, I get a, a postcard to put on my office shelf. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to talking to you in a future episode of American POTUS about John Marshall. And we thank you for joining us today. Thanks a lot. I love being here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the American POTUS podcast. If you have a moment, please rate and review the show on the player you're listening to right now. We appreciate every word from everyone that listens and participates in the podcast. More information on all of our terrific guests and their published works can be found on AmericanPOTUS.com. And while you're there, we'd love to see your questions, comments, or suggestions for future topics. And remember to like or follow us on Facebook or Twitter so you'll be up to date on future episodes and announcements. Graphic design for American POTUS is by The Thought Bureau, and original music score is by Jonathan Clark Music. Finally, it's our presidential last word from James Buchanan, quote, Whatever the result may be, I shall carry to my grave the consciousness that I at least meant well for my country.